We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Journey back with me for a moment to 1985. For as storied of a franchise as the Chicago Bears are, they still only have one official Super Bowl win under their belt from that glorious season, where the team allowed just 10 total points in their entire playoff schedule, but also allowed Jim McMahon and his crew to rap on the Grammy-nominated, yep, you heard that right, Grammy-nominated Super Bowl shuffle. And the argument could be made that since then, especially without a playoff win since 2011, and no wins against their dreaded rivals, the Green Bay Packers, in the last five seasons, that there hasn't been a whole lot for even your most diehard Bears fan to be bragging about. Fans are so thirsty in this market for a winner that they're easily globbed on to any bit of success. So in 2022 and early into 2023, In an attempt to reclaim their moniker as a true Monsters of the Midway, the Chicago Bears brass made several top-level changes. A new regime, a new general manager, a new coach, a new team president, the McCaskies, have listened to the fans and given them these layers of management that they've often demanded. And now Bears fans are wrestling with the trust level in these layers of management. And though the product on the field improved in many respects this year, Several questions linger, including, should Chicago still be trusting Justin? He's the quarterback for the Chicago Bears until otherwise. I I don't think that's changing anytime soon. The culpability is enough to make a strong argument that he's just not the guy. I think there's better than 50-50 odds that they turn the page on Justin Fields. I'm Jim Hankey, and this week we're tackling a Bears 2023 season autopsy. What went wrong? What went right? where they go from here, and more importantly, who sticks around? Let's get looped in, Chicago. WBBM sports reporters Josh Liss and Rick Gregg joined me recently via Zoom to discuss all of the above, with Rick providing some great audio this week from his season covering the team as part of the press corps at Hallis Hall. You'll hear from players and staff throughout today's discussion before we get an overall grade for the year from both Rick and Josh individually. Rick, I want to start out this conversation congratulating you. (laughs) Really? Yes, because in early September, if we rewind, you and I sat down for a Bears season preview episode of Looped In, and I asked you for your prediction for 2023, and you got it exactly right. You said, I listened to the audio today, you said the Bears would be seven and nine, and I think officially with that 17th game in there, we can assume really at seven and ten. And that is pretty dang on the money. And you said because they were coming off such a horrid 2022 at three and 14, that if they ended up with a seven and nine or seven and 10 record, you would deem that to be a successful season. So my question to you to start off with is, do you feel the same way? Can you look at this seven and 10 record now and still say it was a successful season for the Bears 
having just won four more games than the previous season. Well, let me first say that my my good friend Len starts his podcast sometimes by saying every podcast should begin with a round of congratulations. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. I mean, the answer to this one is pretty obvious. It was a success in many, many different ways, but not in the one that really counted. And the one that really counted is they still don't know who their quarterback is going to be six, seven months from now. Other than that, yeah, uh, you could see the progression in the young players. You could see that they really do believe in each other and fight for each other. They did win seven games, even if they didn't beat the world's greatest schedule. We also saw at the end of the season in that loss to Green Bay, just how far they still have to go. And again, the quarterback question isn't resolved. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Sort of the, the to piggyback on that last question, you also said in that episode that it depends how they get those seven wins. So how did they get them? Did they do it in strong ways or did they fall backwards into some of those wins? Uh, I wouldn't say they fell backwards into some wins. In fact, they might've had nine or 10 wins if they could have stopped themselves from falling at the end of games. They blew three 10 point leads in the last quarter, which is unheard of literally in the NFL for the most part. And I don't have the numbers right in front of me. They were able to start a lot of games really well. Holding on and finishing is something that the team has acknowledged was a problem. The brass has acknowledged as a problem. Any fan who saw the games would acknowledge was a problem. Josh, you know, your thoughts, having watched all year, and not expecting this team to turn from miserable into, you know, championship level in one year. But how do you define the season as a whole? Less talented teams have done more and made the playoffs. Less talented or equally mediocre talented Bears teams have made the playoffs. A lot of it depends on how the cookie crumbles, like Rick pointed out in these fourth quarters that didn't break their way. It would have been nice maybe to flash a little bit and have a, a chance at a postseason, even though they were only considered uh, an up-and-coming team in terms of making that first jump. So three wins to seven wins, that lets the coach stick around. That's progress from the Bears' perspective. It's not enough uh, from that disjointed offense that couldn't muster up passing yards in the rankings that you know weren't any better than near the bottom. So that certainly cost the offensive coordinator his job. A lot of people are split still on Justin Fields, and it's also the narrative that Rick's pointing out. It persisted from the end of last season to right now. It's a year-long narrative. We still don't know if he's worth that long-term extension or not. And so I think that's where maybe Bears fans feel like their organization's running in place a little bit. Well, I wanted to get to some of the you know big fan support behind Fields. I think one of our news reports this week is that signs were going up supporting him, You know, don't get rid of him and that sort of thing. If somebody plays this episode a couple of weeks from now and there's been a change, I just wonder how the the fans view the, the front office if a change like that is going to be made. Like, where's the trust there? You know, or if they have the trust behind Eberflus, it's a sticky situation. I think trust is a word that Bears fans and Rick can agree with a new regime, a new general manager, a new coach, a new team president. The McCaskies have listened to the fans and given them these layers of management that they've often demanded. And now Bears fans are wrestling with the trust level in these layers of management. This team is very much in the 21st century and built to win in the 21st century. They're not cheap. They can spend like the big boys. You can say they're a mom and pop organization, but they've added these layers of management and fans, I think, will struggle to trust Kevin Warren. Will he get the stadium done in the right way and in time to really give them a tactical advantage? That's a long term question that we'll get to and maybe even another day. But uh, the trust level with the GM Ryan Poles to pick the right quarterback is the more prescient question. And uh, I've got a feeling that's probably on our 
sheet to tackle today, which direction. But as far as a timeline, when someone's listening to this podcast, unless it's uh, into April, uh, the Bears are probably still going to have Justin Fields around. At least that's what GM Ryan Poles is saying. He's going to wait closer to the draft until maybe dealing away Fields or the number one pick, uh, depending on how they size up the draft prospects. Jim, you mentioned those yard signs on the way into Hallis Hall that I caught where, you know, in Justin, we trust in and a couple of others. What you didn't see actually happened after we left Hallis Hall. And I saw it in a social media post on the Internet that included way too many um, vulgar words to be able to put on the air. Somebody showed up at Hallis Hall and videotaped himself pulling out all the Justin ones, not the Jalen Johnson one, but the Justin ones and saying, no, we don't want this guy and using much more colorful language than that. So the fans are divided. I mean, I've sat in section 211 for the last home game and just listened to the people around me, even though that was the win over the Falcons, right? Half of them are with it. Half of them are not with the, with Justin Fields. Let's see what we got. But I will say this, we're not having this discussion probably if they don't have the number one pick. If they only had the number nine pick, well, then you're saying, okay, do you trade up and give up the assets or do you stay where you are? Instead, now they're in this very envious position of having the number one draft pick in April. Do we use it on a quarterback? Do we trade it for resources? That's what we're all going to find out together. The Bears didn't secure a win until week five against the lowly Washington Commanders. And within the first month of the regular season, drama stemmed from a comment quarterback Justin Fields made admitting he was maybe overthinking. When asked why he was overthinking, his answer was rather pointed. His reply was coaching. Later, Fields walked that comment back. I'm never going to blame anything on the coaches, never going to blame anything on my teammates. Whatever happens in the game, I will take all the blame. I don't care if it's a drop pass, it should have been a pass. Put it on me. Yet, the damage was done and the product on the field spoke volumes about what was happening off it. The Bears have wanted Fields to make changes to his delivery almost since the second that Luke Getze walked in. They worked with him working off a different foot, changing up how he looks at his progression down the field. Or And, and I'm not sure, I think we can say now, I'm not sure that it ever all clicked together the way that Luke Getze expected for it to click together. But come on, Luke Getze got this job by working with Aaron Rodgers. I know Bears fans don't love Aaron Rodgers. Love him or hate him, he was a great quarterback, and he and Justin Fields are not the same kind of guy. When Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus talked about what they're going to look for in the new offensive coordinator, the word that jumped out a lot to me was adaptability or some form of that. In other words, you can schedule and plan all you want, but if the other team comes in and thwarts your plan, what's your second option? What's your third option? We know Justin Fields can find the second and third options. However, when a team would shut him down, the lanes would get a lot smaller and he would have to improvise, it felt, without a lot of extra help from the coaching staff. I don't know if you agree with that, Josh, but that's what I saw. Well, and remember, and I think this is what we're get heading towards, uh, Fields was talking about being overcoached as early as week three in this past season. And yep. so that didn't bode well for Luke Getze. The relationship never gelled, but Getze obviously was shown the door, like was probably uh, expected better than 50-50, even though Eberflus stays. Uh, but you wonder the culpability of Fields and when you mentioned the long windup, uh, the traits, uh, the bad habits that might be catching up to them or that were there, we were willing to ignore. Uh, fans are so thirsty in this market for a winner that they're easily globbed on to any bit of success. So one week, Justin Fields is, you know, running for 50 yards and throwing for 200 
what do you have the four touchdown games uh back to back what a yep. what a tease um and then the next week uh, like you're saying he'd only throw the ball uh 15 18 20 times uh which would equal that low c- completion season sort of attempt rate pass attempt rate they didn't trust each other as play caller coach uh, the play calling ended up disjointed and out of place, uh, and it didn't hurt that the offensive line was banged up and mishmash most of the the season either. But you know the culpability uh, that Fields has, I think, uh, is enough to make a strong argument that he's just not the guy. Uh, forget about even before you get to the first or ninth pick in the draft. You know they've got a May deadline on a fifth year option. He's got the fourth year on his deal. I think there's better than fifty fifty odds that they turn the page on Justin Fields. With just two wins to their credit through the end of October, that's half the season, by the way, at week eight, the Bears made a big move defensively, picking up Montez Sweat from the Commanders. This was a monster signing both physically, as Rick will point out in a minute, Sweat made history this year with both Washington and Chicago, but also monetarily, with roughly $62 million guaranteed at signing, according to ESPN. Here's Coach Matt Eberflus on what Sweat has done for the team, which soon became known as the Tez effect. He's been a, a consummate pro, and he, he definitely helps others, and it's been an uptick in a lot of ways for the turnovers, enabled us to play more coverage, you know, not pressure as much on those, on those situational downs, and get home with four, and uh, that's been a big part of it. With all that said, I asked Rick what took the Bears from just 20 to 50 sacks in one year's time, turning the Chicago defense around in the latter half of 2023. Uh, Two words, Montez Sweat. I mean, that was the answer. They weren't doing a lot in the way of pressure. Uh, They brought in Yannick Ngakwe, and he wasn't getting a lot done in the early part of the year. Ryan Poles takes his second swing of trading a second-round draft pick for an established player. It didn't work the first time, as Chase Claypool ended up being a complete bust. But this time, he gets Montez Sweat, signs him immediately to an extension, and Sweat becomes the first player ever to lead two franchises in sacks in the same year. Yes, you give credit, too, to the development of the new rookies like Javon Dexter Sr., but really it came down to Montez Sweat being somebody, finally, that other teams had to really plan for, and that freed up a lot around him. That said, you also have to credit the linebackers and the secondary who developed along the way, like a Tyreek Stevenson, Jalen Johnson's an all-pro. They have individual guys back there who were doing great work. They couldn't get the edge rushing that Eberflus wants. Once Sweat showed up, they got that, and they were able to get to the quarterback and force more interceptions. Don't leave out Matt Eberflus because he took over defensive play calling early in the yep. season a few weeks before they traded for Sweat on Halloween. How about Bears fans? You should perk up. Your general manager not only lined up the Sweat trade at the perfect point in the season when the Bears needed that pass rush more than ever, but he gave them a mega contract and he made it work with his agent. Uh, a handful of other teams that were in the in the Sweat sweepstakes probably didn't have that contract waiting and that was probably the sweetener in the deal so kudos to ryan poles for being able to pull off not just the sweat trade to see if he might want to stick around but the contract extension he's now one of the faces of the franchise and the coach that was working in tandem with this big improvement on the defensive side also coming back for next year uh very positive signs uh and the drafting of tyreek stevenson and others you could name names but it's obvious why assistant GM Ian Cunningham is getting interviews around the NFL. And by the time someone listens to this, he may have even uh, finalized a job out of town. He's, He's a hot prospect. As the regular season wound down, some long eras of championship head coaching across the NFL came to an end. 
Bill Belichick's run in New England is over after almost a quarter century and six Super Bowl wins. And in a rather surprise move, the Seattle Seahawks let go of head coach Pete Carroll, himself a Super Bowl winning coach, and who was, weirdly enough, replaced by Belichick in New England in 2000. But with Carroll and Belichick, as of this recording, not in new head coaching roles, I asked what Bears fans themselves might be thinking. How can Eberflus keep his job when these championship-level head coaches with much deeper and more impressive resumes are potentially available? They were never moving on from Matt Eberflus. I've been saying for weeks to friends and to people who would ask, they're not moving on from Eberflus because the vibe changed. It changed in the middle of the year as the team started to pick up some of these wins. And all of a sudden, you got the feeling that the players wanted him back. And more importantly, the GM wanted him back. The front office was very happy with the work that he'd done. He could show one from three to seven wins. He could show development on individual players. He could show a stronger defense. We think, we don't know, but he, we think he had two years left on his contract. Firing Eberflus would have been a stunner to me. And when you look at it that way, then you say, well, you know, like a Belichick or a Carroll coming available, they didn't even get to that point. They were keeping their guy. It's not they didn't want the other guys. It's that they were keeping their guy. The Getzy thing, obviously, I think that was the most likely change to happen. I think we can say now, and that is what happened. And we'll wait on the third important part, which is Fields. And if you can criticize the Bears for maybe not doing their, quote, due diligence, it's where GM Ryan Poles admitted he did not try to reach out, even as far as we know, through back channels uh, to Jim Harbaugh of Michigan, yeah. who odds uh, seem to be is going to make a jump to a pro team. And there are seven open NFL jobs at the time of this recording. And let's assume that all that's true. I would wonder if the uh, ownership of the Bears, if the McCaskey family is happy that Ryan never went to them and said, hey, do you want to spend at least $15 million on a new coach per year? Because I don't know that they would want to do that, whether they should or not. I don't know that they'd want to when they had a guy already in place who was showing some progress. How much does it cost to win a Super Bowl, Rick? That's uh, the, I don't, the question. Well, in 1986 dollars, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Let's talk about these firings and I guess the, the, the coaches that are still on board uh, with the next Eberflus year. What do these moves say and were they warranted in your eyes? Either of you can have a shot at that. Well, if I can start, I thought it was very telling that of the offensive coaches who stuck around, the most high profile is the offensive line coach, Chris Morgan. I thought that that was a vote of confidence in the way that Darnell Wright, last year's first round pick, and Braxton Jones, the left tackle who was from two drafts ago, were developing. Morgan gets a lot of credit for the work that he's done with those two, and it also indicates to me 
The Bears know they need help on the interior of the offensive line. And if you trust Morgan to work with those first two guys, you're going to trust him to help with the new guys in the middle. He had to piece it together after Cody Whitehair fell off a cliff. And while the offensive line had a lot of work to do, uh, it could have also been a lot worse. So I think Morgan got a big vote of confidence on the defensive side of the ball. For now, at least everybody is back. He needs to find a defensive coordinator, did not rule out promoting from within Eberflus. Um, I don't know what they will end up doing there, because even though Matt Eberflus says he's not sure if he's going to keep play calling, as Josh pointed out, that was a big reason why the defense improved. Matt Eberflus is a good defensive play caller, and he's took over the play calling after week three or around week three, and suddenly they got better, as you mentioned. So what defensive coordinator wants to step in with all of the administrative duties and none of the glory? I don't know. You know, Iberflus, again, deserves all the kudos, uh, and it's a really a mystery on how they're going to plug in a defensive coordinator at this point because you don't want uh, anyone less qualified than a Matt Iberflus calling defensive plays, yet that seems uh, inevitable at this point. And uh, offensive coordinator, you, you hope for an uptick, and uh, if they uh, hook up with Justin Fields, a better connection, you hope, a better glue, a better language even if it will be a uh, Rick, correct me if I'm wrong, his third bears offensive uh, in four years. In a fourth a, year. Yes. In a fourth year. So there's that translation, that language, but a lot of it's just the same. A lot of these offensive coordinators, as we, you know, we know, even with gets, he was guilty of it, trying to bang a square peg into a round hole. Eberflus admitted it at the, at the postseason news conference. Uh, you need to be able to adapt with injuries and successes and ups and downs and how you guys are doing. And it's a little bit of that adaptability in how they're going to size up the next offensive coordinator. And I think that's the much sexier question than who's going to be calling defensive plays for the Bears next season. Uh, it seems like Jalen Johnson's going to be back if we didn't point that fact out in the whole sign around Hallis Hall discussion, but he's going to be back. Uh, but on the offensive side, the play caller, whether or not they're going to be calling plays for Justin Fields with their new language, and if Fields is going to have to catch on to that new language fast or not, or they're going to build from the ground up with a new coordinator and maybe a Caleb Williams or a rookie prize prospect sort of quarterback with the first or maybe even ninth pick or lower in the draft, depending on how things shake out. That's um, sort of going to be where things are at, that new play caller and who that person is going to be. Um, you can make a list of 50 guys right now, and you might not even hit the dartboard on who it might be. I'll tell you, and this is a complete speculation, though, Josh. I think they really want somebody, and it's kind of obvious speculation, who relates well to the younger quarterbacks. Obviously, they'll have a new one in the draft or they'll have a young guy in Justin Fields. And I think maybe I've told you this story before, but I'll say it real fast. I go back to the Rodgers thing. Getsy comes from working with Rodgers in Green Bay. Rodgers goes to the Jets. And as we all know, he got hurt on the first possession the Jets had this season. And then in comes Zach Wilson, who has his own problems, but he comes in and it doesn't go very well. The next week, he has a good game. And they said, what was the difference? And he said, well, we spent all summer working in an Aaron Rodgers-style offense without a lot of pre-snap movement. Aaron liked to get the guys to the line and then point them out where they wanted to go. By the second week, once we started putting all the other stuff in that I like to do a little bit more, it was a lot easier for me to adapt and to understand. And I think that the pre-snap movement thing is relatively new. Uh, in the last 10 years or so, I think that's what Justin came up playing. I think that's what he likes to know where guys are going to go and, and be able to fire off from there. All he's got to do then is read the defense, not worry about what routes guys are going on. And I think that the next offensive coordinator would end up doing more of that, whether it's with Justin or with somebody coming out of the draft. 
Yeah, fans want the offensive coordinator and the quarterback to be in concert, probably more than any other position uh, coach sort of pairing in all of pro sports, to be honest with you. Basketball coach and point guard, you're playing football and you're playing quarterback. And if you don't have the language and the, uh, the play set up ready to go, you're playing from behind the sticks, to use the metaphor. Definitely. And, you know, we're talking about coordinators and coaches. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up another story from the season where Running backs coach David Walker is let go for issues with workplace behavior. Defensive coordinator Alan Williams resigns shortly after the season begins. That also raised a lot of questions. We talked about trust before, and we don't have many details on either of these situations, so we can't really speculate. But what is the overall take on turning around the culture? I think that is something that management has said. I think that's been a party line since the middle of the season or so is culture, culture, culture. And I wonder either of your takes on that. Yeah. And just quickly, none of us are Bears apologists. We see both sides of it. So I think like the Bears side in this one is you've got an inexperienced head coach for the first time picking staff members and it didn't work out. And he did have egg on his face and he did have to end up doing the job himself. And before you get to the part of if he did it well or not. And uh, the Bears crossed that bridge, I think, with as much grace as they could. They barely admitted as much as they wanted to publicly, which wasn't much to the situation. You know, Rick, you know, I think they handled those crises okay because the main excuse was this was a first time coach and, you know, it wasn't going to really cost them wins or losses at that point in the season. I can't really speak to the David Walker thing because I, I don't know much of the story there. When <laughs> I remember specifically when Matt Eberflus kept talking about, well, he didn't meet up to the standards. I finally said, what's the standard? And he mentioned being on time when I know David Walker didn't lose his job because he got on, caught on traffic on 294. So something's not right there. Regarding Alan Williams, the one thing I will say as well is that I don't believe that Matt Eberflus hired a known villain. To put it bluntly, it wasn't, yeah, this guy's an awful person, but boy, he runs a good defense. So we're going to overlook all of those things and bring him in. Whatever happened appears genuinely to have been a surprise to the staff, to the coaches, to the team brass, et cetera. And so because of that, it's what Josh said. Yeah, it didn't work out. It didn't work out as because they were caught off guard, not necessarily because they expected this and it came back to bite them in the, uh, well, you know where things bite you. So the second time around as they hire coaches, he had to answer for that. I'm sure he had to answer for that in the meetings that they had on Tuesday at Hallis Hall. But also I thought it was telling in the end of season news conference that Ryan Poles said, you know, when we first got here, we just walked in the door We kind of rushed some processes. He implied, we're going to take a little more time. And he said, I'm going to be more involved in both of those, especially the offensive coordinator hiring and the offensive staff. He's going to be more involved this time, which I think is only a good thing. And we can't talk about the future of the Chicago Bears without discussing where they'll even be playing a decade from now, which is still, as of this recording, a mystery. Team President Kevin Warren had this to say at Hallis Hall just last week. I am focused on making sure that we build the most progressive, smartly priced, on-time, under-budget stadium development project that's ever been built in the National Football League. 
I think we do know a little bit more that they aren't specifically married to Arlington Heights, that they are looking around. Now, how much of that is full smoke screen or just somewhat smoke screen? I don't know. Somebody pointed out that today, as we record this or earlier today, the Bears announced that they um, are going to play a game in London. The NFL announced that the London teams and that included a, a message from the mayor of Chicago about how wonderful a city Chicago is. And the Bears weren't on speaking terms with the last mayor. So that is a change, if nothing else. Kevin said yesterday uh, that once shovels get in the ground, 36 months, three years, they'll have a viable building. Of course, when and where those shovels are going to go in, we just don't know. I'm not, I'm not afraid to read between the lines. I think, you know, Arlington Heights is is sort of on its way to being a home run in hindsight. You know, we'll have looked back and say, you know, if they did their due diligence by maintaining relationships with Chicago and maybe if flirting with a few other municipalities, that's good for business. That's the Kevin Warren game plan. But I think Arlington Heights is by far, well, clearly the leader and it's got everything going for it. Is the trust there in the in the Bears to really follow through to that next level? I don't think there's any reason why they can't. Uh, they clearly poached a guy who did it once before and Kevin Warren with the Minnesota Stadium. I think momentum is maybe not so much obvious, but uh, all signs, I think, if you really look at it, uh, still point to that happening in that area. I don't, want the, I don't just want the last word, but I do want to say that I agree with Josh, that Arlington Heights remains the leader. And yesterday, Kevin said, <laughs> Kevin promised, Kevin Warren promised to deliver a stadium that was both on time and under budget. And this is Illinois, and we know those things tend to last if you just look at all the roadwork signs out there. So we'll see if he can make good on the promise. <laughs> oh, gosh. oh, boy. Um, Josh, let's go back to you for the one last thing. And then Rick, we'll, we'll, we'll close with you. An overall grade for the 2023 Bears season. What are you giving them? I think it's a clear C. Uh, they did better than flunk like last year uh your four game improvement uh, gives you a c uh it certainly uh, allowed uh, matt eberflus to return this year even though some changes need to be made if they want to upgrade that grade to to next season so uh i'd say c you know c plus c minus you know we'd be working through the details there but a solid c to the bears of 2023 it seems fitting with the with the helmet and everything obviously too it seems seems fitting uh rick I wanted to say C2, but then I started thinking about it. You didn't make the playoffs, so you can't have an A. You lost both of your coordinators. Can I give you a B? You didn't beat Green Bay again for the 8 millionth year in a row. So now we're down to a C. There is improvement. There's no question about that. But as Josh said, they didn't flunk. So they went from like a a, a, a 30 to a 69 or 70 so c minus but on the way they certainly did better in the second semester than the first we'll say and that. if you're great if you're grading on a curve they're still last in the division <laughs> they're still last in the division right so relative to what we all want them to be it's like a c minus or a d they didn't they didn't get it done but um maybe the right people are in place to to do it going forward they think they are at least the ones they kept around This episode of Looped In Chicago was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jim Hankey, and special thanks this week to Rick Gregg for use of his audio from Hallis Hall this Bears season. WBBM's news director is Craig Schwalb, and Myron Kaplan is our managing producer of national news podcasts. You can now follow us on TikTok at WBBM News Radio 105.9, as well as on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at WBBM News Radio. Thanks for listening, and we'll keep you looped in again right here next week. Talk to you again soon.